Money FM 89.3, the best of your money. Market View on Money FM 89.3. Friday, the 2nd of September. We made it to Friday, everybody. Good morning. I'm Michelle Martin. Let's take a overview of markets. Let's do the tour in minutes. Asia-Pacific markets are trading mixed this morning as investors await a key jobs report that is due out in the United States this evening. Seoul is trading up one-third of a percent. Tokyo and Sydney are in the red. Joining me now as we break down all the market action. It's been a maskless week. How's it been so far, Ryan Huang? GGIF, Michelle, just heading into the weekend and I am all set. How about you? I am looking forward to it, but I have a busy Friday ahead. So let's start this morning here in Singapore where a major shakeup is set to take place amongst the constituents of the Straits Times Index. A company that is a household name is out. Another business that you may likely have never heard of is in. So what is going on? Well, we'll fill you in. Comfort Delgro is being dropped from the Straits Times Index. A company called Emperado will take its place. Now, Ryan, some listeners may know it, but I'll I'll bet you one drink that many do not. <laughs> so what does Emperado do and why hasn't it made local headlines before? Yeah, this is actually quite a big company if you follow this industry. This is the liquor industry. So it is one of the biggest companies. In fact, it's a giant in the Philippines. It's actually main board listed there. So it, it made its debut in July with a secondary listing in Singapore. And since then, it has actually done pretty Okay, it's been gaining 10% since its July debut. And right now, it has uh, managed to get enough market cap to qualify to join the STI gang, which is 30 constituents. Mm-hmm. And conversely, Comfort Delgro has not been doing as well. So that has seen a bit of a reshuffle when it comes to names that we might be familiar with. Comfort Delgro, of course, we all know it. We see on the streets. Uh, and now, a new name for people to get used to, Emperor So why is Comfort Delgro being dropped from the SDI, right? Yeah, it's, uh, I guess, contrasting fortunes, right? When you look at how Emperor liquor is a rather resilient business. And look at Comfort Delgro, on the other hand, its share price has not been doing as well. Just looking at how it's been doing in the past year, uh, we are looking at Comfort Delgro's uh, share price just dropping by 13.6% compared to the STI's gains of 4.4%. And now Comfort Delgro has a market cap of $3.1 billion. So this makes it pretty much the smallest counter and the STI right now. And then the next smallest one, just for some context, is Capital DC REIT. So maybe the next one to watch out for if you're trying to position yourself with the quarterly review rebalancing. Now the switch takes place in a fortnight. Monday, 19th September is when it will happen. What is this likely to mean for the two stocks? Uh, typically when it comes to index inclusion and exclusion, who's going in gets more... Uh, action, people wanting to get in on it because it will be included into more indexes, funds, ETFs and whatnot. Conversely, we could see some selling pressure on the likes of Comfort Delgro for the same reasons. It will be phased out from some ETFs, some funds and of course the volume will not be as high. So all that could mean different directions when it comes to its share price reaction 
in the coming days. We're going to check in to see how ComfortDelGro and Emperado shares perform in just a little while this morning. But uh, let's turn to the world of foreign exchange. An article on Bloomberg, Ryan, caught my eye this morning, and it says that Goldman Sachs and Citigroup are telling their clients to bet big on the Sing dollar. Now, why is that? Yeah, I guess not a surprise when we are how much noise there is in the markets these days. And Singapore, as many people have been noted to favour, is quite a resilient safe haven when it comes to assets, including its currency. And you have now Goldman Sachs favouring the Sing dollar among the Asian currencies uh, because of those reasons. Plus, if you look at what RBC Capital Markets is saying, it's looking at potential momentum carrying on with further policy tightening by the Majority Authority of Singapore. So that could turbocharge the gains they've already seen um, the Singapore dollar get from earlier tightening measures. And of course, the recovery in the regional economy, including or especially Singapore, is also helping to support the currency. The reopening of borders, for example, is seeing more inbound tourists. And many of the sectors we've been seeing in the COVID-19 years just being disrupted are now coming back online. So a bit of a an economic recovery just supporting the currency. So Even though we've seen how the Fed has been raising rates and in turn the US dollar gaining, the Singapore dollar has managed to hold on rather well relatively. So I think looking at the net-net impact, you have a strong reason to look at the Singapore dollar as perhaps a hedge with what's going on right now. We are seeing the US dollar trade at its highest level in decades vis-a-vis many major currencies. Here in Singapore, the greenback currently trading at 1.4 to the Singapore dollar. Aside from a brief spike that we saw in July, that is the highest level for the US dollar here since 2020. Elsewhere, the yen has fallen to 140 against the US dollar and the pound sterling has suffered its worst month since Brexit. Analysts say they expect the British pound to, quote, plumb new depths. Why exactly is that? Yeah, the pound just keeps getting pounded. So it's down 4.5% for the month of August. And looking at signs, it is expected to continue sliding. And it's all around what's happening with the economy. You've got all those projections about a potential recession around the corner. The BOE has already warned that is a potential scenario. And you have inflation just skyrocketing. In July, it was 10.1% and the Bank of England has projected a peak of 13.3% before the end of the year. So the BOE likely to want to tackle these inflationary pressures by hiking rates. And this is going to be possibly putting the brakes on the economic picture in the UK. And also energy prices have been rising and are set to rise even further. So that could add more pressure and more pain to businesses and consumers in the UK. And all in, more pain for the sterling. Closer to home, China is escalating its interventions in the currency markets. Like other major currencies, the renminbi has been depreciating vis-a-vis the dollar and it is approaching a key level of 7 yen per dollar. Ryan, do analysts have a sense of what this strong US dollar means for companies? I mean, we've already seen it impacting earnings this past quarter. Yeah, Typically, when this happens, as we've seen in past cycles, we would maybe see some capital outflows towards this, the US dollar away from these weaker currencies. So that could lead some capital outflows from these markets and it could then add pressure on some of the companies 
I guess, balance sheets in that sense. Also, interest rates are going up. So you have to take into account whether they have borrowed in US dollars. So if they have to repay in US dollars by virtue of their own home currencies getting weaker, they would then be in more pain when it comes to repaying those debts. So that is the potential implications. And on top of that, you have import costs to worry about because many things are priced in US dollars, many commodities, many products. So when they have to import those products for their own factories back home, wherever they are, it will mean higher costs of materials, higher pressure, uh, more pressure on their business models. So it is going to lead to many trickle-down effects for these business models. Now, yesterday on this show, just about 9 a.m. around this time yesterday, we talked about how the NTUC Plus cards that have been issued by OCBC are going to be discontinued. An hour and a half later, or about an hour later, I realized why, right? It all has to do with a new partnership and a new digital bank. So, Ryan, tell us more. What is the latest here? I think what people are interested in is, you know, what exactly can a digital bank offer that a traditional bank cannot? Yeah, good question, right? Everyone's been thinking, hey, Singapore's got enough banks. You've got UOB, DBS, and so on and so forth. Now, maybe we are overbanked, but here you've got some new kids on the block in the sense of a new or another digital bank, and it's the one now called Trust Bank, a tie-up between Standchart and NTUC. And what we are seeing is actually quite interesting. So they have launched a savings account, a credit card, and also family personal accident insurance. And I am looking at the numbers on the interest rates they are offering for the first $50,000 in your deposit. 1.4%, not Mm. too shabby. Mm. And if you look at some of the other perks, 21% 21% link points. That's the uh, rewards points you get from going to the supermarket fair price. Uh, you're one of the I'm a link point shoppers. collector. So that could appeal to people like you who want to chalk up those link points. And also, if you think about it, you have that kind of ecosystem going on. If you shop at fair price, if you use NTC products, insurance, for example, if you've got a supermarket nearby, no, you can also withdraw cash from 20 ATMs, including one at your nearby fair price extra, for example, Vivo City, and also 19 Standchart ATMs. So it's got this ecosystem going on, partnership going on that could help it to gain an advantage against what's already in the market. So that's what is, I guess, raising my interest in what's coming up from these new digital contenders. Right. So it's using the infrastructure of the supermarkets, so to speak, to buffer banking, real-world banking. Yeah, I'm just thinking, hey, maybe there could be more when it comes to potential products. For example, maybe they could use the cashers when you're buying groceries, right? Just um, use it as an outlet or contact point to withdraw your cash, right? Yeah. Maybe in future that could happen like, hey, if your groceries is um, costing $30, mm. you could just chalk up $50 and they could give you the balance in cash. So that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. So I am just thinking, hey, the partnership possibilities are quite limitless. So it's going to be quite exciting times ahead for the local banking scene in terms of when, when it comes to innovations, when it comes to partnerships, mm-hmm. promotions and whatnot. And if you look at the apps they've been launching, they are quite refreshing in the sense that they are being redesigned. For example, if you look at what GXS has launched, the way you think about parking or compartmentalizing your money uh, is quite interesting because they have what's called savings pockets where you can save towards certain specific goals. And that helps you keep track of whether you're reaching those goals, like buying up 
or saving up for a guitar or your holiday or your kids' education. And if you're not on track, it will just keep nagging at you or send you small reminders to do so. It's called the nudge. The yeah. nudge. And then mm. you've got the feature that's in the Trust app where you have a tracker to help you figure out if you are on track to meeting your monthly criteria for your credit card actions because typically you get bonus points for spending a minimum sum in some sectors or some places. So it'll help you to keep you on track. Hey, do you need to spend maybe $50 more to make sure you hit that qualifying spending to get those bonus points? So those things are useful because I don't really see it elsewhere. Um, it's a, it's interesting that it's targeting an older demographic as well. And given its base, that's a huge captive audience for this new digital bank to tap on. About one in three Singaporeans have interacted with a fair price or the larger NTUC ecosystem. I think people are going to be looking out for what are the benefits that will accrue to NTUC income members um, and, and what does this mean for the ability of the older individual to interact with a digital bank, you know? Are they going to cater to this particular group in a better way? So new digital banks, mainstream banks are raising their deposit rates. Ryan, what do you make of all these shifts that we're seeing? Yeah, like you just alluded to, banks, the local ones, have to catch up. They have been raising their rates and I think we could see more to come in terms of refreshers to their offerings, maybe rejigs their apps, maybe to some extent catching up with what they don't have already, those features and um, copying it to some extent like, for example, GXS has the daily crediting of interest. So if you are someone who wants to make sure or wants to figure out what's going on with your money, you can see with more transparency how much interest every day you are getting right and waiting for the end of the month. And <laughs> Watch that, that you, pot boil. I guess some excitement to some <laughs> I extent. Think so. And that gives you more motivation. Mm. motivation to just keep adding more money to your bank account. Yeah. So those little things, those little details. I think that's what could be um, in store. More to come. And of course, the goodies and the promotions galore as these banks try to fight, a pe- fight for a piece of the pie. So that's good news for us. Yeah. I think, uh, you know, I've heard people talk about heat maps of deals that are near you popping up through your banking app. That would be looked forward to as well. All right, Wednesday on this show, we talked about how China is experiencing its broadest yet outbreak of COVID-19. Not its largest, but its broadest. And we promise to keep an eye on any economic ripple effects. Now, over the past 12 days, every single province in the country has reported at least one case. And now, Ryan, we see China's COVID-0 policy kicking in. How exactly? (laughs) So it's a bit of deja vu. And you think about Shanghai, that was supposed to be a lockdown lasting a few days, it stretched for a few weeks. So here you've got what's happening in Chengdu, possibly become a repeat of what's happened in Shanghai. You've got, you've got a mega city of Chengdu that is home to 21 million residents. So sometime back at 6pm yesterday, they were told that the city would go under lockdown. So that leaves them six hours before midnight to figure out what they need to do, what they need to buy. So scrambling across the board, 21 million people. You can imagine the supermarkets were swamped. And this is um, what's playing out in China right now. And you have to also think about the economic impact, right? Chengdu 
even though it's not as developed as Shanghai, it still contributes in the sense that it has many tech companies and automakers depending on many of its factories there, like Toyota Motor, VW China. So it's got a part to play in the wider Chinese economy and, of course, the global ecosystem. It contributes about 1.7% to the Chinese GDP. For comparison, Shanghai is about 3.8%. So all eyes will be on how long this lockdown is going to last in Chengdu, which is, of course, seeing China struggling to keep a lid on those rising number of COVID-19 cases. We've got a crisis in confidence in the property sector. Mm. We've got people just holding on to their purse strings when it comes to spending. This is not a problem they need right now. Hong Kong, meanwhile, has been struggling to come out from under the shadow of China's COVID-0 policy. Currently, anyone who wants to cross the border from Hong Kong into southern China must quarantine in a hotel for seven days and then undergo three days of home surveillance. But the demand for isolation rooms is so high that there just aren't enough. So how is Lee proposing to ease this crunch? Yeah, as you imagine, zero COVID means everyone needs to get into a quarantine hotel in China. And now you've got the Hong Kong chief executive, John Lee, saying, hey, let's do a reverse quarantine. Come into Hong Kong first, Mm -hmm. quarantine in Hong Kong, and then you can enter China quarantine free it kind of works on theory in theory so maybe you'll see this uh, taking off so the idea is also part of a wider push or i guess uh, plan to help put together a bit of a system or workflow so that hong kongers or anyone in hong kong can enter china quarantine free long term so to help that regular flow of people traffic from Hong Kong into Shenzhen for business or whatever reasons. So that will also, of course, help alleviate the burden on hotels, which is really under strain when it comes to quarantine hotels at least. Hong Kong is also targeting to end its hotel quarantine in November. This is ahead of a summit of global bankers and the very famous Rugby Sevens tournament. Now, one more China story before we move on from this realm of geopolitics. Since U.S. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi visited Taiwan earlier this month, China has stepped up military exercises and incursions into Taiwanese airspace. Taipei has started to fight back somewhat. Phyllis Inrein. Yeah, so the latest headlines is around how Taiwan has shot down a civilian drone. And this is... After weeks of complaints about incursions by unmanned aerial vehicles from China, so they tried to repel it, they couldn't, so they were left with no choice apparently to, but to shoot it down. And this is around the Kinmen Island. And this is, of course, likely to raise a few eyebrows in terms of how things are now starting to escalate, in terms of shots being fired, drones being down. And of course, like you pointed out, off the back of Nancy Pelosi's visit to Taiwan. So you've got both sides trying to step up the rhetoric, saber rattle a bit, and trying to make themselves more felt in terms of presence. So it's going to play out for quite some time. All right, time for up or down, Ryan. I want to start with a chip maker that counts some of the largest companies in the tech industry as its clients. Let's look at Broadcom. All right, Broadcom. I am looking at up. And this is interesting because it is seeing resilient demand for its chips. Even though we've been hearing from many chip makers talk about a slowdown as people spend less on PCs, gaming devices, crypto mining rigs, smartphones. But um, Broadcom is bucking the trend in the sense that 
It says companies are starting to switch to a more hybrid work model mm -hmm. and they need things for, or rather need chips for data centers, routers, Wi-Fi modems. And this is where Broadcom comes into play. They have the chips for these things. So that gives them the edge over their competitors. All right, Broadcom has also given a strong earnings forecast. So in my book, it's an up for Broadcom for me. All right, a name that I haven't heard of in a while, Motorola Solutions. Yeah, Motorola Solutions. You might remember it from those popular smartphones or popular handphones back in the day. Yeah. Uh, it's moved on with a bit of a spin-off. It's called Motorola Solutions. So it's now in the area more of connectivity when it comes to walkie-talkies, for example, enterprise communication services or uh, devices. And this is where it feels that demand is strong and getting stronger because public safety and the demand for enterprise security products, it says, has never been stronger. And it says there is a major upgrade cycle underway despite all the concerns about slowing global economy. Businesses are ramping up their buying cycle for these enterprise safety and communication products like two-way radios by police and fire departments, mm. security video systems, command center software. So those things are picking up and Motorola is where it needs to be right now. Yeah, innovation for the securities industry is what it's pivoted to. And Motorola Solutions CEO says he's never seen stronger demand for his company's products. All right, time for the morning cup. How's Starbucks doing? Starbucks is looking, I would say, up. And mm. this is with the news. It's got a new CEO in line. And this is Lexman Narasimhan. He is a veteran of PepsiCo and other consumer brands. So he comes from a Anglo-Dutch multinational racket. He will take over the top job next year, 1st of April. Uh, he will join Starbucks in October. So he's got a bit of a lead time or runway of about six months shadowing the current boss and uh, founding CEO, Howard Schultz. So he's going to be um, being coached to some extent. And it's an interesting time because Starbucks is going through a few new challenges, including how many of its stores are trying to uh, become a become union members. And that is leading to new challenges when it comes to expectations from many of these employees. So maybe a new name could take some heat off the current um, pressure from Starbucks and maybe a new approach will help to alleviate some of these pressures as well. Starbucks appointing a new CEO and hopefully this removes some uncertainty for the company. But I'd say it's unclear yet whether it's an up or a down for me. All right, let's look at Snap, Ryan. Snap is a down for me. So this is with the headlines that it is laying off around 20% of its workforce. Mm. That's almost over 1,000 employees. So quite reflective of how its results have been. Not super. They have been down. People have been cutting back on ad spending. The tech space has been suffering because of a drop in risk appetite. Uh, investors are not as optimistic or bullish as before. So all those suspension and growth plans are now pretty much on a back burner or even reduced. So that's what's happening with many tech companies, especially Snap. Snap 
Meta's action, apparently in contrast to Meta, which is shifting its business, looking at new developments in Web3 and has been studying the metaverse closely last year as well. Snap, in contrast, says it's one, it wants to focus on three areas. That's community growth, revenue growth and augmented reality. So it's putting its research into Web3 applications on ICE. I think investors will like this focus for Snap, though. So in my books, that's going to be an up for this stock. Let's bring in a check on how stocks are doing this morning. 28 minutes into the local trading day. We talked about the change up in the STI, Ryan, at the top of this program. So how are investors reacting this morning? How are shares of Comfort Delgro and Emperado performing? Right, let's take a look at how the STI is doing first. So across the region, it's been rather subdued. And it's the same for the STI so far. It's down by 0.3% at 3,215, pretty much tracking the rather uh, sluggish overnight action on Wall Street. And diving into the constituents, uh, you've got a split across green and red. And let's dive into those two stocks we've been talking about. Comfort Delgro is going to be out of the SEI come 19th of September. And that is seeing some pressure on its stock price, down 0.7% at $1.39. On the flip side, Emperador, which joins STI replacing ComfortDelgro, is up by 4%, or $0.02 cents to $0.51.5. Cents. So Liquor Giant is seeing some interest, um, some buyers getting in on it right now. Thanks very much, Ryan Huang there. The Straits Times Index finished the day yesterday, basically where it started at 32.24. I'll say that's a lot better than other Asian indices, which finished with losses of about 1% to 2%. We'll continue to track the STI for you, of course, right here on Your Money. Stay with me. I'm Michelle Martin. Before acting on the information on Money FM, please consider if it's suitable for your own investment objectives, financial situation, and risk tolerance. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcast at moneyfm893.sg or download our audio app. That's A-W-E-D-I-O. Available on Google Play or the App Store.